I would like to talk about Gumroad a fair bit, but I think it makes sense to at least begin with a chronological overview of everything you've done. Because to be honest, it is ridiculous. The <laughs> breadth of things that you've done is a joke. It really is insane. So can you give us like a brief overview of everything so far? Yeah, so 2000, graduated from RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, 2003. First job out of school was at a design firm called Pentagram, which is one of the largest independently owned design firms in the world so they i thought i was an okay designer and then i got there and i was like oh man i suck this like <laughs> you know because paula share was a partner there and she has like netflix specials and michael beirut is in there you know designing the hillary clinton logo and and um you know the Citibank logo paula did like on the back of a napkin in a cab um so just they don't necessarily pay really well, but they don't need to because it's almost like a grad school for design. Um, you go in there and get to work with really amazing designers on really cool projects. So that was Pentagram for about two and a half, three years. And then uh, I thought I'd dip my toe in advertising, went to an agency called RGA, um, which it does a lot of things with Subaru, with Nike. In fact, when I got interviewed there, they were doing the new video for Rihanna and Nike, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get to work on music videos and stuff like that. Well, I got there, I ended up working on the Johnson & Johnson team and doing Splenda banners all day. So I got out of there pretty quickly. Um, you didn't get a chance to ask for Rihanna's number then? Uh, no, no. <laughs> No, I never got to talk to it. In fact, I did some stuff on Nike, but it was very intense. Like, I remember being in the office till four or five in the morning working on it, was right when Nike came out with the, um, the Nike running things. People didn't even understand how Bluetooth or any of that RFID, how any of that worked. But it was one of the first things where they were tracking the shoe movement. Um, and uh, so that was pretty cool, but it was just way too intense. Uh, the timelines were way too intense. And as fast as I can work it was not anywhere near as fast so i got out of that went to an industrial design firm called frog um there's two industrial design firms in the u.s one is ido and then the other is on the west coast and then frog is on the east coast so you know they're the ones who did the original mac uh one of the mac computers the i think like the old old mac uh, the founder was harmet esslinger is the is the founder and he worked with steve jobs on that like early early computer which is pretty cool oh wow that's very that, cool that company was very focused on user experience um which was really cool so we would do things with the the sat company where we were developing sat training for young kids and stuff and mobile games and doing stuff for sprint um like their new wi-fi um, product and things like that microsoft um, that was really fun. It was very quiet. We had a lot of time to, to think and, and do things. The pace was way slower uh, than RGA, which was, which was much more my pace. Do you, do you prefer a fast speed of work, getting loads of work done, or do you think as a creative person it's better to go at a slower pace and in the long run you actually get more done of a higher quality? I always say that there's urgency, but don't take shortcuts and don't sloppy. Like sloppy is bad. Um, if there's there's always an urgency, but there can't be a rush because rush is where you start making making compromises and the quality goes down, and that's when I I can't I can't work like that. Especially if the if the quality starts to suffer, 
then yeah, I have to check out at that point. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that was the that was the cool thing about Frog is you just had there was still urgency there. You couldn't go on forever, but we would do things for GE and be able to really dive into what the users were doing and a lot of that very thoughtful design. So that was Frog and then I got a call from my friend uh, at RIT who I'd met, Jake Lodwick. Jake had dropped out, and I thought, man, I don't know why he would drop out. And so he ended up selling Connected Ventures with his friend Ricky and Josh to IEC for like $20 million. And so, you know, I, was, uh, I got that one wrong. And uh, he called me up. He said, hey, we have a, a small budget for this site called Vimeo that we are going that IEC is going to be putting money into. When IEC bought Connected Ventures, which was College Humor, Busted Tees, and Vimeo, they didn't really realize that they had purchased Vimeo at the time. Maybe they had, but they didn't really put any money into it. IEC put like a million dollars into Vimeo and that was the original team. So I think there was maybe twelve of us, maybe ten of us. Um, my future partner, Jonathan was the GM at Vimeo at the time. And then I was director design design director. And it was just a small ragtag team. Like we didn't really know what we were, uh, what we were doing as far as marketing and things like that. But we just cared a lot about Vimeo or we cared a lot about video and we cared a lot about the community. So there were people always in and out. They were video creators. Um, I know Casey Nestat was an early Vimeo user. He was always in there. A oh, bunch really? of, yeah. like And then College Humor had a bunch of people now um, that have gone on to do a lot, lots of great things. Like I remember the, the, a lot of the people from, from Silicon Valley, the HBO show, they were in there. They had done some, um, the, oh. the lead character in Silicon Valley, um, Curly Hair. Not the big guy, the nervous guy, <laughs> the founder, original founder. He was always in there. It he was. Uh, oh, it's amazing. Um, oh, I need to watch that. I need to watch it. Apparently, it's very accurate. <laughs> yes, it was very accurate. <laughs> uh, Reggie Watts was in there. He's now the. I think he's the the lead uh, musician for Seth Meyers. Sarah, um, uh, Sarah, I'm forgetting her last name. She's now a lead writer at SNL. So it's just. It was just a really cool place. And what was interesting at Vimeo, we always caught like kind of the Vimeo mafia because there was a lot of people that came out of there that people don't realize that this was in the early days of New York startup scene uh, when the New York startup scene was really kind of booming. And Jay came over to my desk and he said, hey, this guy, my friend David Carp is starting this site called Dump Tumblr and I gave him 25000 to help, you know, Tumblr. <laughs> and the Tumblr crew and Vimeo were very intertwined because they had used a lot of our embed features inside of Vimeo and they were always embedding um, videos and stuff like that. The Tumblr crew was really great. And then Jake came to me and said, my cousin had started this other site called Bleacher Report and I gave him $25,000 to start Bleacher Report. And then... Uh, there was this guy, Zach, who we called him Iowa because he was from Iowa. Uh, it was a really creative name, but Zach. That's Cohen, a good name. <laughs> he was always working on these like robots. And like we didn't understand. I didn't really understand what he was working on. I would always see his computer and see these models and 3D models and things. And I said, like, what are you, what are you building? And he said, I'm building a printer that can print out other printers. Like it can print things. I didn't understand it. 
him, it turns out that him and Bree Pettis had gone, had been at MakerBot, uh, had created MakerBot. They called it RepRap in Brooklyn and started MakerBot. So Jake had given Zach $25,000 as an investment into MakerBot. Jake so, sounds like a fantastic investor. <laughs> <laughs> Jake never got any credit until finally he got like this big spread in Inc. Magazine because like he was so good at it, but people didn't really know because he didn't talk about it a lot. So in like a span of like three or four years, Tumblr sold for a billion. Uh, Bleacher Report was like a few hundred million. And then MakerBot was also a few hundred million. Um, That's wild. So, so this is yeah. going on all around you. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you ever play those that iOS game Dots. Uh, Patrick Moberg, who was next to me, he created Dots Studio. No way. He sold that company right. for I don't know how much. Um, and then Casey, who was next to me, Casey Pugh, started Star Wars Uncut, which was like the community where you could create the whole Star Wars movie with community clips. He won like an Emmy for that. He was Casey is just awesome, super smart guy. Um, and then Josh, who was head of Busted Tees, uh, ended up being the third employee at Uber. He's like the, the he was the GM of the New York Uber, and he was at Busted Tees. And we didn't understand why he was going to work for a black cab company because no one likes <sighs> to take black cabs in New York because they're too expensive. And uh, yeah, so it was Travis, and then one other his partner, and then it was Josh. Um, so Josh, once they went public, Josh is now a full time VC and does whatever he wants to do. That's um, super crazy. Yeah, it was it was all around. It was all around everywhere. Um, and it was just cool to be in that crowd. Um, and so that was that was the Vimeo days. And then the GM there, Jonathan Marcus, and I, I started doing some freelance work on the side for him and eventually like, hey, let's start a company. So we started a company called Flavors.me. And I quit my job at Vimeo, which was really scary. But it was, you know, I had to do the jump and we raised, I think maybe uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars at first, but it took about a year. So I was burning through all my savings, just had a baby, my, my son, Jack, just bought a house, an apartment in Hoboken, 2008, where everything crashed. Um, so that was, that was an adventure. And then Flavors had an offer on the table for face from Facebook. We went through the whole acquisition process and we said no uh which probably cost us each you know 30 40 million dollars i don't know how much it would have been because the stock price was like maybe 12 dollars at the time and now you know obviously it's in the hundreds so that was uh that was a lesson uh but at the time it just you you know a lot of people in tech were like facebook wasn't doing well and it was right when they had started that, like, the app was HTML5, and it just was the app was crappy. I remember when that came out, and, like, people were just, the quality just wasn't there. And so people were doubting Facebook, and we didn't want to work for a big company. So I think it worked out in the end. I mean, it just wasn't really meant to be. Uh, and then we started another company called Goodsy, which is an e-commerce platform. And we ran Goodsy for about 10 years in, in kind of living that startup lifestyle. It was very up and down. Um, at the end of Goodsy, we had an offer on the table from Etsy. We had gone through a meeting after meeting after meeting, hours and hours and hours. We had executive approval. Everything was awesome. And then they fired their CEO, Chad, and they lost, like, I don't know how many hundreds of millions on the stock market. And it just, everything blew up. So I think there were maybe three or four deals on the table at the time. Ours was one of them that got 
that got blown blown up. And then it was kind of like just dropping an atom bomb on our finances because we weren't really making payroll because we didn't have to. We were about to, ready to be acquired. So that was a really stressful time. You don't even have money for groceries. almost lose the house. Like, it was bad. Um, but I didn't expect anybody to feel bad for me. In fact, I was kind of embarrassed because I'm like, what if these – what am I going to tell people? I chose to do this. This was my fault. This wasn't anybody's fault. I chose to go into a very risky um, direction, and this is what happens. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. So I, didn't, I, I wasn't really public about it because I didn't want anyone to feel bad for me because it, it, wasn't, it was my, of my own doing. Um, and then so that was where you kind of build up your you know, life as an entrepreneur, and you've got to really suck it up and, and – take the pride out of it. The pride was just kind of smashed out of me. I thought I was Mr. Cool Entrepreneur. It doesn't matter. You, the cool thing, the, the thing about the internet is you can act like Mr. Cool Entrepreneur or Mrs. Cool Entrepreneur or, you know, whatever you want to call yourself. And things can be horrible behind the scenes and nobody ever know. You just, you're still, you're still cool online or whatever, but that's not always the case. Especially when you start seeing these acquisitions of companies that they get, press and the paper, you know, in the, in the, the blogs and stuff like, Hey, we got acquired. But when in reality, the investors wanted to save face. So they got a deal done behind the scenes that was basically for no money. It was an aqua hire, but that they call it an acquisition and everybody gets to say they were acquired by Google or something. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of smoke and mirrors, which now I'm privy to. And I don't, uh, I, I think that was a lesson for me just to be like, look at any time, any of this could be pulled pulled out from under you and you can't ever think that you're better. We all need each other. We all need entrepreneurs. We all need people to work for the entrepreneurs or build the products. We need designers. We need community support. We need all of these things. We all work together because without each other, we wouldn't be able to pull off any of these things. So that was my lesson going through that. Um, I had a consulting client at the time who had started a company called follow up boss, uh, which was a real estate CRM, uh, and that took off. I mean, it's very niche in the real estate world, but they, uh, they work for some of the, I mean, or their, their software is used by some of the top real estate teams in the whole country. Um, now I think they're probably at a hundred employees. Um, you know, if they're, wow. if they're, I don't know how many tens of millions of dollars are doing in revenue now, but they grew, grew really fast and got to be on the early team there, which was really cool. And, uh, and then, uh, realizing like, okay, I basically, I told my wife, I said, look, I'll, I'll get a job for a little bit just to like calm everything down. Like just so things are a bit more predictable. And I did that for two and a half years, three years, I think maybe two and a half. And it's just not for me. Uh, it doesn't mean the people there were great. The, the, the product was cool. It just, it just wasn't me. And so uh, I talked to my friend, Chad, Chad Pugh, who's actually Casey's Pugh's brother. I worked with him on the early Vimeo team, really amazing designer. And he talked to me about what it would, what it's like for him going independent and how he structures client work and things like that. And uh, so I said, I think that's what I want to do. I, you know, before I would start startups and I would W2, I would be W2 employee. Um, a lot of this is kind of US based, but and uh, this time I'm like, I want to go full-time independent, like Jack Zerby Consulting LLC, right? And Jack be the holding company for all these things. And uh, and I can go into 
Well, so I'll go into kind of my methodology later, but I'll just tell you just on the surface of how, how these things went. So Yeah, sure. I have lots of questions for each stage. Yeah. Uh, so Sid, so I did some, um, when Goodsy kind of blew up, Jonathan, my partner Jonathan, went to be head of product at Teachable. And I worked with the Teachable team for about a year and met Sid, uh, who was really just a really great product designer, product manager at Teachable. Um, Sid went to high school with Sahil, you know, come road and they had been friends from way back. Sid went to, after teachable, Sid went to gum road and worked for a little bit while he was creating circle circle.so the community software. And okay. I think Sahio ended up investing in it as well. And it gave Sid kind of a, a baseline of, of work to, to support himself while he then could create circle. Uh, so, Sid and I got to know each other just, you know, being, being, he was a new dad at the time. We would talk all the time and he, I was encouraging him as much as I could. And even in, uh, introed him to some of the investor friends I knew who ended up investing in circle. And, uh, you know, like I didn't expect anything. It's just like, Hey, I like helping out on the entrepreneurs. Uh, I know some things I've made a lot of mistakes. I can share that, you know, what it's like to be a dad and a startup founder and things. So, uh, I don't. I had been following Sahil for a while. I was new about him, and then I saw that Sid had worked for him. Was, and I reached out to Sid. I said, "Do you think you give me an intro to Sahil?" It's like, of course. Um, so, and this was the key thing. One principle with this is, I didn't just hop on the phone with Sahil. I said to Sid, "I'm like, you're you are in the product team. What is the most important thing to Sahil right now for the next six months? What does he want to build? Where is Gumroad heading?" And so he told me, and we talked about user-generated user design systems and things like that. So I did a whole presentation. I was at the beach at the time. And at night, in the morning, when the kids, uh, kids weren't up, I just worked on this presentation, sent him a Figma document with a Loom video. We had a little chat over Zoom. Boom, done. And that was it. We agreed on the deal. And then I put my two weeks notice in, and I was a free agent, uh, which cool. was really cool. And then... Uh, from Gumroad, that's where now I had the platform to go on and start all these things. So that is where um, I kind of have to. There's so many things I have to kind of remember. Um, <laughs> so right now it is. Um, it is. Let's see the tag. So I have DoHQ, which is uh, getdohq.com, which is text message training software. So it's kind of like a teachable, except it's run everything through text messaging, SMS. Um, cool. But it's action-based. That one's a really fun one. I have another, I have an agency called, called Design for Decks, where we do high-end pitch deck design, custom pitch deck design for companies that are raising seed all the way up to IPOs. So, you know, some decks will be twenty, thirty thousand dollars to for a company to go public, which is pretty important for them as they're doing their roadshow and things like that. So I have two partners in that, Sam and Aton, and uh, that that's just a really fun business. It was kind of pulled out of me. I had done decks for myself and for other founders and it just I actually ended up shutting the business down in the early days because it was just me and I'm like, I can't scale this, so I need partners. So I brought on some partners. Um, that one, that one grew like crazy. And we, we purposely like 
stopped doing as many because we really wanted to get the process down, but there's definitely a need for it. Um, so that's designed for decks. Then I have another company called Biddy, which is BiddyHQ.com. Uh, Biddy is bid service package management for architects. Uh, basically we allow architects to create white label sites so that when they have a project they're working on, they can sell the, um, sell the, the blueprints to people who want to bid on the project. So they pay a hundred dollars and they get access to the files to then bid on the project. That one's, that one is growing like crazy. Uh, I think we have maybe 60 to 70,000 contractors on it. Uh, it wow. does, you know, 40 to 50,000 uh, a month and, and digital downloads at like a hundred dollars. Um, very niche, but really cool. Uh, just a really fun project. I partnered with my friend Brandon on that, who's been in that industry for a long, long time. So that's, that's Biddy. And then Staked is, I worked with Staked. That was Jonathan's company. They're a crypto company. They do staking. When I first started with Jonathan working on it for about two years, I worked on the brand and the, and the app. And he's like, I can pay you in cash. I can pay you in equity. I was like, I need the cash. So I just took the cash. Well, Staked ended up selling to Kraken for one of the largest acquisitions in crypto history. <laughs> it was like, so Jonathan now, I can't tell you the exact number, but it's in the, it's over the, it's not tens of millions anymore. It's beyond that. <clears throat> so, <throat> yeah. Um, so that's another, you never know. Like, you never, it could have been nothing. I could have gotten no cash, nothing. It could have been worth zero. So you just never know. But Jonathan is like the epitome of, a, of an entrepreneur, just always getting back up to bat next time. So that's Staked. So I worked with the Staked team and now I start working with the Kraken team and starting to do some, some work with them just as a pure consultant, hourly, nothing. And I can explain kind of the different business models that I have. Um, and then another one as a kind of a retainer designer contract with Warp. Dot dev uh zach who i had done their original deck for he was one of the original google uh he was one of the the google engineers on google slides reinvented the command line the terminal and raised a bunch of money for that and i just work with their team uh, to crank out pretty much anything they need on a daily basis wow. and then another site called happy detailer which is a company i started with my friend dave and ryan where we create white label software for mobile car detailers so there's no real software specifically for mobile car detailing. So scheduling, booking, payments, clients, all that kind of stuff. That one is already launched. We have an MVP out there now. And uh, we're launching the main software probably in the next 60 days. And, uh, and then we have another one called Dogma, which I started with my friend John, which is going to be really fun. Uh, we're almost a million dollars into the build because mobile is very expensive and I have a lot of lessons there for how to build mobile apps. So, so basically, uh, about, about a million dollars in to the build. Uh, I can explain why that should not have been that much, hmm. but, um, dogma is basically TikTok for debate. So pick, pick any topic and you can see people across a wide variety of opinions and you can go down deep down any opinion. So I can see everybody that disagrees, somewhat disagrees, agrees, somewhat agrees down any silo of opinion. That's going to be fun. That's purely a passion project. 
Uh, I don't even really care if it makes money. I mean, we, we hope that it makes money, but it's really just we feel like we want to contribute to the Internet in that regard. And then uh, and then I, that's it pretty much. Yes, that's it. Okay, firstly, <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> I hate it as, as like growing up when I see something on Twitter and everyone's like, oh, you need to niche down, just do one thing for 10 years and then make it. <laughs> that fills me with dread. So I'm, I'm happy to see that like it, there must be ways to manage multiple things. It's okay. But- like I used to feel bad and beat myself up be like, I don't stick to things. Like I love the initial stages. Like I do. And then once it starts to really roll, then we have people that take over and, and roll it out. Like it's okay. To, it's okay to be like that. If you like the new, you like the taking these abstract concepts, bringing them down, the building, the part of it, that's, that's okay. Um, I've just learned to embrace that. And it's, and there's arguments to be made both ways, you know? Um, so yeah. So do you have a, like a holding company that holds all of these brands within them? Is that how it's structured? Yeah. So I have each one of them has their own LLC. So each one, uh, will have its own LLC depending on the partners that I have. And then that LLC is simply a pass through. So we're not paying taxes on that LLC. The money just is then distributed to the partners whenever we want to. And then I pay that money goes into my Jack Zerby consulting kind of master LLC. And then that's treated as revenue. And even that's a pass through. It doesn't get taxed or actually hits my personal bank account. So I'm actually an S corp at this point now. So I'm a, the sole employee of Jack Zerby consulting. So how come it doesn't get taxed? Uh, <laughs> these are like complicated tax questions that you definitely should not take my advice. I hire people. to do that. <laughs> like it's basically meaning like it just operates as a, uh, the money that passes through it. And so it doesn't, unless, unless that money is distributed to partners, it's not, it's not taxed. Okay. Again, do not take my advice. No. On it. I like, I pay bench.com a lot of money to do my accounting and bookkeeping. And then I just hired a new accountant that is doing all that for me. So definitely check with your accountant, but that's kind of how it definitely, as you're starting a new business, get an LLC and get a separate bank account. That's, what I do, I use mercury.com for a lot of those bank accounts, which is really, really easy to set up. I found that when you go to like the local bank, there's just a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. And for the amount of different projects that, that I'm doing, like it's just hard to, because sometimes if you go to your local bank, you need to have that partner physically there to sign things. Um, and that's a pain. And a company like Mercury works really well with Stripe. So mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's really simple and smooth. And then for LOCs, I don't, I don't use any of the, uh, like services that do that. I'm some, like I used Stripe Atlas one time, just felt overpriced. Just go to your local state website, create the LOC and get your EIN number or whatever number that is in your country and just do it yourself. It's once you do it a few times, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very cool. And for people in the UK, LLC is limited company. And okay. Mercury.com. I don't think they've expanded to the UK yet, but oh, okay. Bank, there might be Revolut. some other similar services. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty. There's plenty out there. Um, so, how much of your time is spent on all of these versus how much are they now live and just operating? And you're there to maybe part fires, set yeah. it a bit. 
Yeah, so um, it's important in all of these things to have uh, a really good team. That's like the that is the thing. If you don't have a team that you can trust and you have complementary skills, and you know that you can trust them to do what they say they were going to do, that's the key to the to the whole pie. Um, so, in the case of Biddy, we have my partner Brendan who handles a lot of the sales, a lot of the the new business conversations. We have uh, Vin, who handles a lot of the back office things. So Vin is basically in the Biddy software all day, every day, dealing with you know fifty to sixty open projects, maybe more at a given time, live construction projects that are millions of dollars. So we can't afford to make even one mistake because the consequences in the U.S. The bidding, and probably in the U.K. as well, like when you're doing bidding process, especially public projects. Everything has to be kind of by the rules. And if you get one number wrong and a bidder says, well, I didn't see that number and therefore I lost a, a $10 million bid, like now we're liable. So that biddy is running on its own as far as what the business is doing now. But as far as new, new features, bugs, whatever, I work with um, Hans, who's our lead developer. All my developers that I hire, every single one except for Gumroad, are all through TopTal, T-O-P-T-A. T-A-L. They have the highest quality developers that I've, that I've worked with. If you hire a developer directly, you just don't have someone to manage the invoices. Like, and the thing about TopTal, which I like, is they want to preserve their reputation inside of TopTal, so they'll do a good job so they keep getting more work. Otherwise, they don't get more work from TopTal if anyone complains. So... In every one of these projects, I have TopTal, which then has a project manager, so I can talk to them if there's any issues with, with hours or billing or whatever. And so I would say Biddy is pretty much running on its own. Happy Detailer is in the process of being built, which will eventually, you know, it's always for me, it's getting it up and running, have partners that are running it, and then I'm in charge of executing new things. So that's pretty much true on every project that's my kind of, ownership percentages versus any of the consulting stuff. It's just, it's very transactional. What is your hourly rate, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, yeah, that's for, interesting. For consulting, for consulting. So it's 250 an hour is like my top kind of top rate. And, but it depends on- That seems on, cheap. What's that? That seems cheap. <laughs> well, I know my wife would say the same thing. It's, uh, it's, it's funny. You have to adapt to whatever context that you're in. Um, if you're, if 250 an hour, it depends on the, it depends on the amount of hours that you're going to be working. It depends on, uh, the consistency of it. My rate on Gumroad is lower. Uh, Sahio used to publicly, uh, display those rates. I don't think he does anymore. But the consistency of Gumroad allows for a lower rate, which is easier uh, because it's more consistent. Uh, so that way it's not like turning on and off and blah, blah, blah. So it's really – that is worth a reduction because of the consistency. Again, my goal is to really get at a lot of these hourly situations. I think Gumroad is the exception just because it's a really fun project. But hourly is just not a great business model. It's not. But I tell entrepreneurs, like, cash flow is king. You can work on all, I can work on all of these things. And if I'm worried about cash flow, I'm going to hurry. So a thing like Happy Detailer, if I'm really concerned about cash flow, I'm going to be rushing that. 
and making you know making the the the, the new customers weary you know wary because i'm being too urgent about hey did you get that check in you get that check we need to get that check in we need to get you to buy this and it just it just creates uh a a vibe that that is hard to hide so what i always say is like if you have this foundation of hourly you know that that's predictable and if you know your burn rate you know, i have three kids it's a family of five we have a house we have mortgages we have cars we have pets we have private school, soccer, dance, like all of these things <laughs> that you've got to have cash flow. I can't, t- I can't pay my mortgage with equity. It's just not going to happen. So I think a lot of times entrepreneurs will have pride, too much pride. And they'll be like, well, I'm a, I'm a cool startup founder. I don't do hourly work. Why would I do that? I'm like, no, I need that money is to prevent any stress on me. So I can say, okay, what's my burn rate? So if I look at my burn rate and I say, okay, for a family of five, it's, you know, let's say it's 10K a month. I got to look and say, okay, well, how many hours at 200 an hour, if, let's say if it's a consistent thing, how many hours do I have to work for 10K for 10K a month? So if I do this, I take, uh, you know, that 10,000 divided by 250 is 40 hours divided by, so let's say I'm doing 20 hours. So if I do two hours a day, I paid my bills. That's yes. nothing, right? So if you now again look at taxes and say actually it's not 10k because I'm in thirty percent of that goes to the government tax, so you have to you know add another thirty percent in there. But either way, it's like two or three hours, which is nothing. So if you get up at if you get up at seven in the morning, you work till nine, you're done the rest of the day, and that's where you work on your assets. So you have your trade time for money, that pays the bills. That takes all the stress away. So now when you build your assets, you're a lot more methodical. You're way more patient. You don't want to be taking the profit out of the business. Why would you do that? Like take the profit out of the business, put it back in the business. I think a lot of people will rely on assets immediately for income and, and starve the business of money and not allow that money to be reinvested because they needed to pay their mortgage or their grocery bill. So, don't ever get too cool for hourly unless, you know, unless your company, unless you're Jonathan, my partner, Jonathan, who, who sold his company for all kinds of millions of dollars, he can do whatever he wants. Right. But when you're still in the grind and I consider myself very much in the grind, you've got to be able to do that. And, you know, doing that with all those things combined, you know, you can hit, I think this year will, uh, this year will be in the 450 range. And then, you know, my goal this year is to do half a million in revenue through my personal LLC, which is great because it's a combination of all different things and things. But then I talked to my friend the other day who's doing 750,000 a year. And I'm going to learn from that. I'm actually having a, a meeting on Thursday. I paid for $500 for a half hour of his time. Uh, uh, I know Des- who you're talking about. Yeah. From Design, Design Joy. Joy. Yeah. Why would I not pay five hundred dollars? How do you know that's not going to make me an extra half half a million dollars over the next however many years? I like his model. I'm very curious about it, and I hate the hourly model, and I really like it. So we'll see. Uh, there's a, I don't I don't want to run companies with fifty employees that do a hundred million in revenue. If I do a million a year, that's great. In pure cash, that's like why would you know? especially where I live in Pennsylvania. I'm not in New York. That's a really great lifestyle. That's like, 
a top tier surgeon lifestyle and I'm nowhere near as smart as a surgeon, <laughs> you know? So that's kind of, would you ever uh, consider an offer for maybe something, say someone comes along who can run design for decks and they've got a specific skill set that can really grow the company. Would you ever consider an offer so it takes it off your plate and you can focus on the things that you're better at? Yes, I'm always I'm always going to consider things like that. Um, okay. That would be, you know, have to be a very unique situation. That person had to be very good at what they do. Uh, but I'm always curious. I'm always open. I'm always having conversations constantly. And I think you have to be open for that. Like I'm having a conversation with my friend John, who I've worked on some companies with, and we may be starting like a children's book, a the like AI company or something. I don't know, but it sounds fun, right? Um, and uh, so that's what you have to be kind of open and curious, and look for problems to solve. Don't look for solutions, and then find problems. Like everybody has a solution of AI, and they're trying to find all these. You know, they're trying to solve it with all these things, like find the problem and maybe it could be solved with AI, but maybe not. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like Dali, it's not really solving a problem. Well, it's, it could. it's got. It you don't could. know. Yeah, you're yeah. right. That's where, you the, think... yeah, that's where the entrepreneur needs to come in and, and figure that out. Mm. No, I think that's all. Everything you just said is great advice. I run a website design agency. I wake up at 6 a.m. I work on that till 9 Yes. And I go to my full-time consulting job. Yes. Then on the weekend, I'm, this is, I do this podcast. And my theory or my thesis is that by doing multiple things, at least for a period of time, they all lend themselves to each other. Yes. Um, same accountant, the same holding company, the same, if I was to get branding, the same branding agency, the same, um, all of these things. Is yes. that true from your experience? Yeah, they're, they're, some of them are pretty, some of them are kind of separate, but there's a lot of complementary things that happen in, in between a lot of these things. I think having the same agency like TopTal hire a lot of these developers is a helpful thing to connect a lot of these things and how I manage it. Um, I have the same then, design process for every single one. Every single one from zero to one, I follow the same thing. It's software, it's the same thing every single time. And, uh, and sometimes, the the different companies can kind of play off each other so you have to be strategic like design for decks i was approached by a vc firm to design their website and typically i'm like uh i i don't like doing those projects because they they take a while and uh it's hard to price them so i did it because this company has a, a portfolio of 900 startups which vc uh, fjlabs.com. So they're a really cool company. It was surprising because sometimes clients can be a real pain, but, uh, they were really awesome to work with. And now, um, you know, we'll probably end up doing their next, uh, their next giant LP deck. Plus they have a lot of startups that maybe we can start working with those. So you have to be strategic in that regard of that's a complimentary thing that I typically maybe not would have taken, but like, I'd love to develop a relationship with this company. Box Group is the same. Uh, I did the Box Group website. Uh, that's Dave Tish who, who uh, runs Box Group. Dave was one of our uh, early investors and is one of the best kind of angel investors in New York. Um, his family, the Tish family, they own the Jets, they own uh, 
uh, oil companies. They own Tisch School of Business. They there's like plaques with their name all over New York. But Dave is just mm-hmm. an awesome, one of the coolest, nicest. Like he really cares about you. Like we talk all the time, and he he cares about the family. He just, but he's you know his family is this is like a multi billion dollar family. Uh, but he's just, he's awesome. So again, with box group, I did their initial brand stuff and logo. And then we've worked with so many of their startups, uh, on decks and, and things like that. So, yeah, that's, that's amazing. So I do decks sometimes as well, not nearly with the experience or probably quality that you do for design for decks, like 30 K for an IPO deck. That's a, that's a deck. That's and not it's, just like it, it a takes- presentation. I mean, it'll take me when I was doing them myself for a 10 page, a 10 slide deck would take me 30 or 40 hours um, of every single pixel, every recreating and redrawing every graph with every number. So we put a lot of time into those. So that's why we're able to charge those prices. What do you think is the most important thing within a slide deck then? And this applies to a from a designer's perspective or a founder's perspective. Are you focusing on the storytelling? Are you focusing on uh, the copywriting, making sure everything's clear? Or I'm sure it's a combination, but what for yeah. you is the most pivotal part? Yeah, I think the, the it, I, I teach like a whole kind of masterclass on this. And it's really about the cooperation between the design and the content. If it's a really great story with really great content, but the design is horrible and it actually, it actually distracts from the story. And actually takes away from the story. Imagine if you had a story like Lord of the Rings that was so amazing, but the acting was horrible, or the the set, the scenes and the sets and the and the the costumes were just horrible. It it wouldn't work. So you have to have the marriage of those two. So that's what I look for initially. Is uh, is it a great story by itself? So often when I'm working with founders and things like that. I'll say, just put the story in the slide. I don't care how it looks as ugly as possible. That's fine. I don't need it designed. So that way we can see, is it a compelling story? Does it add up? Uh, Does it flow from one to the next to the next? Uh, So there's a lot that goes into that where is the problem super painful and clear and picturable? Or is it just a weak kind of like, hey, you know, you've seen so many. I've seen so many like these where they're just like, and they'll say dead. They'll be like, uh, you know, I don't know what it would be like bike riding is dead or something like that. <laughs> like bike ride. We need to improve bike ride or like bikes or something like that. It's just like not picturable enough versus saying like, Hey, we're creating bikes for, uh, for people who, uh, you know, for, for elderly people who, who want to get out and ride around, they're creating these really special, specific bikes and talking about painful, picturable problems about bike accidents or I'm getting kind of morbid here, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I want to yeah, you're making heal human, that. Right? Yeah. It's got to really human stories be, to it. Yeah. And it's got to be very specific. Um, don't just say you're, you're creating restaurant software because restaurants lose thousands a year. What does that mean? 999,000 or does it mean $1,000, right? Like mm-hmm. what qualifies as thousands and what's the scale of that? Is that a lot to a restaurant? I don't know. So, uh, I, I want to see specific things and specific problems. And then I want to talk and then I want to see about what the, see the solution, but not the solution as the company, but the solution as a concept. 
So if I'm Elon Musk and I'm pitching Tesla, and I'm, I'm saying like the problem is is renewables, and the problem is you know is is getting us off fossil fuels and things like that. The solution is EV, is EV electric vehicles, not Tesla. Tesla just happens to be best positioned to be able to 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 solve that problem and create that sol- solution. So that way, then you're defending the concept, not the company, because I can argue that Tesla is not the solution, but I can't really argue that the electric vehicles. It's harder for me to argue that as a concept. So that way you're not putting the company on the spot and making the company defend itself. You're putting the concept on the spot and making the concept defend itself. And it's a lot easier for a concept to defend itself than it is the company. Because the company can be your bias, obviously. So they know you're going to be talking it up. But if you have the concept, it's a little easier. So then I want to see the problem with the solution. So you say, okay, well, EVs are the solution. Well, that's great. But how many of you have tried to do that and failed? And this is why, you know, this is what happened to this company tried to solve it. This is what happened to this company. And so now I'm kind of one level deep on the problem, the solution, and the problem with the solution. And then, so that way then I'm answering those objections to the investor, just like any good salesperson, you want to answer the objection before you get it. Uh, and then the last thing is when you get to the product demo, don't lose the story. I did a, a demo one time at New York Tech Week of Goodsy, and Michael Bloomberg was there, and there was like maybe a thousand people from tech in there, and I was I was really nervous. I don't know what it was. It was just the pressure of it, and I nerded out on the demo, and I just talked about like we're using this technology for this, and blah blah blah. It was so bad, and one mm-hmm. of our investors came up to after, and he's like, "That was the worst presentation oh, I've ever no. seen." I was like, I know. And so then that now I tell founders, I'm like, when you get to the demo, don't nerd out, but make it part of the solution. So you could say, and this is our solution. So Jane, who used to have this problem, this problem is now using this, our app with this feature and this feature. And now Jane's life is this. So you're keeping that story. Don't yeah. lose the story as you get to your product. Demo. That's actually the niche I'm going for with my websites and my pitch decks is I want to work for technical founders who haven't worked out the storytelling side of things because I think that's united my interests and what I'm good at. Like the last company I was working for was a VR company aiming to provide VR scenarios for psychedelic therapy. Oh, wow. And they were just super scientific and like everything there had made sense because they're so clued in on the subjects and smart. So like it's actually quite useful having like a, I suppose, an idiot's mindset because I can just be like, that doesn't make sense. That's and it won't cool. make sense to everyone else. So, yeah, that's cool. I really wanted to get in a piece about dogma. Yeah. Um, so you talked about in one of your Substack um, pieces, which I'll leave a link to, it, that you need to be able to deliver your pitch in 60 seconds. And I suppose with Goodsy that day, you didn't manage to do that. Yes. Can you deliver a dogma 60-second pitch? Right now? Right now. <laughs> That's good. That's good because this will be good media training um, <laughs> when I have to uh, when I have to talk about this. I think the thing for dogma is right now we know that this binary conversation online is is causing a lot of problems. It's agree disagree. It's one or zero. You're either with the enemy or you're the enemy, or you're not the enemy or you're this, or you're bad or you're good. All of these things. 
between this kind of off on good evil good bad all of these things are caused by this binary division and that's why you see in the media landscape things wander zero and so what we're looking for is how do you create the nuance in between these conversations because there's so much nuance in any given topic so at dogma we take any controversial topic no matter what it is it could be across any different topic and say you can either go left right up or down so left right is is going wide in your perspective across somewhat agrees agree neutral somewhat disagree disagree across a wide variety and then you can go down any spectrum of opinion to go deeper inside of that so the goal is to widen people's perspectives Open them up to challenge their ideas. Will this be for everyone? Absolutely not, because there's a lot of people that won't be open to challenging their ideas. But at Dogma, we hope to create better conversations that ultimately could lead to changed hearts and minds. A lot of the conversations you're, you, you hear out there, they're not trying to change hearts or minds. If you believe that you're right and you want to create and you want to to pitch the, the the reason why you think you're right and you're attacking the other side, you're never going to bring them to your side. So if you look at the why of why we're on, why why people are on social media, having all of these conversations, some of them may be to just offend the other side, but I think there's a lot that really do want to affect change and actually change hearts and minds. So that's what we, we think that we're going to do at Dogma. Is it naive? Absolutely. We could be totally incorrect, and this is all relies on human nature. And we believe the best of human nature, and if that happens, great. If it doesn't, then we've, we've, we've attempted. And no one's going to change anything unless they're trying, unless they're trying to do these things. So that's, that's what we're doing. I think that's a super cool idea. I think that's amazing. I listened to a podcast last week between two feminists, and they're talking about hookup culture. And the host laid out an argument and then asked them each, and they both said their piece. Yeah. And then didn't argue. I love which it. was so nice because you, then you can make your own opinion. Um, well, the cool then, thing that, that we're doing, uh, and I, it was in that demo video, but the, the big part of this, the one I'm most excited about, my partner John's most excited about, are called Dogma Rooms. So if you remember, I mean, you may not follow U.S. politics, but when they had the Trump-Biden debate, it was a total embarrassment for the whole country. Like Biden was interrupting, Trump was interrupting the... The moderator was like completely powerless. He couldn't stop them. And it's just two old angry guys yelling at each other. And I said, what if we could have a, mod a, a, a debate that was moderated by the app? So when you go on to any of these dogma, uh, anything. So you say, you know, let's pick something tame, like Bitcoin will be the, the currency of the future. And just like with chat roulette, or uh, with uh, Omegle, you could actually, or even like look at like Call of Duty where you click and you get matched with someone who has the slightly opposite or polar opposite view than you. And you each get three rounds. I think it's 60 seconds of three rounds. And the app just cuts you off. So when you have time to, when you are, when it's your turn, you have 60 seconds and that's it. You don't get, oh. you don't get any more time. And then you have these really succinct debates uh, in a bite-sized format. Uh, and this is where I can show real quickly, share my screen really quickly. This is what, so when you come in here, the U.S. should raise the debt ceiling. You can see some other rooms that are happening, but you can say, hey, I want to start a room. It waits for a match. You find a match that's someone with a different opinion. 
They accept that match. Boom, you're taken into a live dogma room. You have a timer here, round two, one, two, three. And then mm-hmm. after it, the audience is, is asked if they've changed or updated their position after that. So Interesting. That's going to be a fun one. I don't, that's another kind of naive thing. Like, oh my gosh, the, the, um, the chances of this being totally abused is <laughs> off the charts. But yeah. I think selection Again. bias would be a big issue. Like, what sort of person is going to want to come and argue? Maybe. I mean, who knows? Th- there will be people that will not do it. I personally wouldn't, but there will be a lot of people that are out there. If you look at TikTok and Instagram Reels, there's so much good content on these issues that's so hard to find if you're look trying to look for it. On TikTok, mm. it's like cat video, cat video, fail video, fav- fail video. Really great political commentary on one particular issue and then it's surrounded by a whole bunch of crap so if those creators which there are thousands of i wouldn't say millions but thousands to, if they're if, if you were able to go on dogma and, and choose between thirty thousand different creators that have all are very well uh can articulate their ideas really well like that's enough because then the other people are then participating in other ways um so that one's going to a- be fun would you curate, curate people who can be in the feed? Yeah, that's that's going to be the other piece of like, do we, you know, we do have, you can follow people, but we may even take the TikTok approach where it's more of an algorithmic. But again, this is going to be a process of discovery. We haven't answered those questions yeah. because we want to get it out. And I could explain yeah. why we're, we're not live. I mean, there's so many things, mistakes that I made. Um, but hopefully we're live definitely by this summer, if not the spring, and then we'll start mm. learning. I was thinking um, it'd be quite hard to separate people. Say someone's really opinionated on a topic like uh, abortion, and they're listening to someone who's pro-abortion or, or the other yes. side. It's going to be, how do you know that they, well, it's unlikely they've separated their emotions from their judgment of, the ideas, logic, trustworthiness, yes. or love, yes. which are the three metrics that each yes. one could be rated on, correct? Yes. And that goes into the quality of the argument, because that's taken from, from Socrates and Plato. I think it was Socrates. I should have known that, actually. Because <laughs> we spent like months and months and months going over ethos, pathos, logos, uh, in, 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 and how do you structure quality arguments? If, you're, if you are... If you're saying, look, I'm a doctor and you should, should listen to me about some specific health issue and you present a really illogical argument and you're relying completely on authority, that's not a quality argument. You can't just say, listen to me because I'm a doctor. You actually have to go through logic. If you go through and say, you know, all you're doing is just it, the, being entirely emotional or no logic, that's where that's where we're we able to, to find we don't care. We're not. That's why I'm very careful with the words that I use. It's not. It's not right or wrong, opinion. That's subjective, but there is a quality in how you deliver that opinion. Because mm-hmm. uh, wonder... you can be right and deliver it completely inefficiently. It mm-hmm. doesn't work. Yeah, I was going to say. I wonder if AI could be used to. It can definitely tell emotional language. It could, and um, I think that's what's really fun about it. it. When we started Dogma, there wasn't really much talk about AI. There was, but it wasn't really accessible. Now, 
The crazy thing is, I imagine maybe dogma that you could type into it because it's all video based. You would type into it and actually like create an AI generated video avatar to actually say your message. Because I think a lot of people will be nervous about expressing their opinion on tough topics. So we need to figure out what's the best way to anonymize certain things. But is it good to be anonymous or not? I don't know. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, So we're going to have to deal with the same thing other social media companies are dealing with. Um, Maybe we have some sort of advisory board from all different uh, backgrounds and opinions. So that it's not, we do not want this to be a liberal platform or a conservative platform. We don't. It's yeah. going to be a very offensive platform to both sides. <laughs> yeah. Everyone I mean, should be offended. It's kind of the ideal time. I mean, yeah. Elon, Lex, Joe Rogan, this yeah. is their narrative right now. Like, this is a great time to, you should actually get some of them. on the Well, that's the, that's the goal that we would have these like dogma room events because I used to love the 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 debates on on uh, Clubhouse, but the problem with Clubhouse is you have a moderator, but everyone's yelling over each other, and they never really figured out a good way to create structure. It almost was like the same thing as the Trump Biden debate, and everyone's yelling, and nobody can get control of anybody, and then they would just kick people out of the room, and then they'd be mad. It's just so yeah. Uh, I, I want to be like short videos that you watch and then that's it and there's no back and forth is yeah good you watch one debate you get you get you know three minutes from each side on that debate and because i want to know because there's certain issues i'm like how can they how can they walk through the logic of that like it seems to be so clear but they are saying things that just so counterintuitive i would love to know what their logic is you know, it, I don't believe that they that they aren't intelligent. They must have a way they can walk themselves through it, and I want to know that, but I don't know where to find that. I'm not going to go to Reddit. Twitter's all over the place, and you can't find it. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, it'll be very interesting. I'm excited to watch that unfold. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine, based out of Texas, is building a rival to LinkedIn, where you upload. It's like TikTok for job search. So you upload a, a selfie video for 30 seconds, blah, blah, blah. This is yeah. why I'm good for this role. And then the employer goes like that, like, or whatever. Oh, that's um, cool. Which I think is a cool idea. Yeah. But my, my, my wonder was, and it applies to you guys as well, how many people are going to be too self-conscious to record themselves in a video? Or do you think that's changing? Because I feel like that's changing as decades roll by. Yeah, I think it's going to, it'll probably, um, it'll probably take the same approach that Instagram and all these other platforms have, where it's basically 80, 20, it's always going to be 20% of the audience is willing to do that. Um, because a lot of people are just not willing to go on video and do that. And we understand that. So it's going to be a very engaged, it's still the double sided marketplace, right? You have people would be able to create and people be able to, to view. So I think, and I'm okay with that, that it's not like every dogma needs to have 17 million view, different views. If in any dogma, especially the evergreen ones like abortion, which will always, it's not like a current thing. It'll always be there or drug legalization or marijuana legalization or, you know, uh, immigration, all of these things. 
if there is if we have five categories and there's like you know a few hundred in each one like that's good enough like i think at, at some point it'll people will start to repeat themselves mm. i'm i'm okay with that and so then what i think will be really interesting is the dogma rooms where you're able to log in and see debates on from your from the people that you resonate with and people that you don't resonate with on current issues so it's the same Not way it. with Clubhouse. You know, if you look at Clubhouse, there's if there's 400 people in the room, there's only 10 up there. It's just yeah. the way that humans are. That is a really cool idea. I think that's like quite a spiky idea as well. By that, I mean, yeah, it's, the use case is super direct that that could almost be like the entry point to the platform for people. Like, yeah. I don't know if you follow crypto, but like crypto Twitter, that needs a space for like traders to speak to each other one-on-one. <laughs> And talk about how the macro impacts the price of Bitcoin and things like this. Yeah. And those so are the, that, some of the best rooms in Clubhouse. Uh, but they're not structured. And, it, yeah, it's hard. And you, if you come in late and you want to watch the replay and there's, like, all this noise and, like, you're sitting there for two hours. Like, I would listen to them while I would mow the lawn. And there was just so much wasted time. Mm. But if I can go in and just put it on autoplay and then listen to like 10 different structured debates on something i might have i'm probably going to walk away with a lot more uh information and opinions that maybe i hadn't considered before yeah uh, which are really interesting in the spirit of what you said earlier about um when you're approaching someone like you approach sahil um you find out what their issues are first and then you yeah. communicate to them how you can solve them with your unique skill set. Yes. What are your issues with dogma? Should someone ever listen and they're like, I want to work for, I want to work for this team. It's funny. The issues haven't come up yet uh, because we're not live yet. Once they do, then we're going to have all kinds of problems. Like we're going to have so many things to, to deal with and understand. Um, I would say at the time right now uh, I have, and this is part of my development strategy is like everything's I, I try to be as organized as possible when when actually in the build process that it's all mapped out everything's there and i'm literally just waiting for the developer to finish he just takes a card brings it in finish it takes another card brings it in finishes it everything is in notion uh, i run my entire life um in okay. Notion, so when they go to, so if I go, I'll just pull up Dogma here, um, and I'll just show you really quick that they, so Matthias, who's our iOS dev, and you can see there's, there's these are the, the ones that have been finished. He'll go in here. I see the what, bullets, exactly what needs to be done. Boom, done. Comments, here it is. Uh, all of the, everything's documented, tab switch position, so it's not started in progress and completed. And Matthias will then push a test flight version. I'll check it out. I say, cool, and we'll move it in the completed thing, and that's it. Same thing with uh, with Biddy is the same way. Back burner, next up, in progress, completed. And this is, this is my day, all day. Everything, and you notice how everyone is even called engineering across all of these things. Mm -hmm. um happy detailers the same way you know we have all these you know tickets kind of uh, organized and you know i'm the same way with how i have my own personal thing not started in progress um you know with goals and all kinds of stuff and this is where you know this is my day today 
and then yeah. I'll move it into the completed thing. That's amazing. That's sick. Do you ever um, do you like uh, follow like, any agile methodologies, or do you just sort of do what works? Like, um, I don't know. Doing like- I've the agile. I tend to to be more the uh, base camp model. The thirty seven signals shape up is kind of the antithesis to to agile. Um, where you basically start with the problem first. So any, any ticket, especially in Gumroad, any ticket that starts with a problem from a user problem or something like that, and then it goes right to appetite, not to solution. Appetite is how much time do we want to develop to this? So in Basecamp world, uh, it's either two or six weeks, which is small, small cycle, large cycle. So if we say, okay, we need to add a calendar, well, that's a large cycle. What's the problem? Well, blah, 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 blah. How much time? Six weeks. Okay, then the dev and the engineer scope it all out and they hammer that scope to fit within the appetite, not with the solution. If we start from problem to solution, now there is no time. There is no time. It's like they just go on forever and it and it and it that's where it gets frustrating and these projects just go out of control. So if you have a time box, then it allows the the team, the small team of one or you know, one developer, one designer to work together to say, we can't do that scope. We can't do this. Let's get rid of this so we can hit their six weeks. At Basecamp, I'm pretty sure if they don't hit the six weeks, they do not, they scrap the whole thing. Like, I, I, I've never done that, but that's how they do it. They will literally not launch it. That um, was wild. So at Gumroad, we, we do a quarterly cadence where we have, you know, Q1, 2, 3, and 4, when we have the different... Um, in Basecamp world, they call it pitches. So these are all pitches to to create a product or create a feature. Um, so in that regard, it just creates a really organized, calm. Everything's very calm, except when there's like a, a a fire to be put out, like the servers are down. But like my day today is very low stress. Uh, it's very intense, but the stress is is very low. Mm. What is your role at Gun Road? Obviously, you're head of design. Yeah. Like who do you report into? Do you do design yourself or are you managing a team? Uh, it's just, well, so it's Sahil and I kind of work together on like the f- features and product and things like that. And then Caro is a senior designer. She's an amazing designer at Gumroad. And Caro and I work um, on a lot of different things. We're working on a, um, an app called Flexile right now, flexile.com. And we're basically creating a build.com uh competitor for flexible companies that work with contractors so that's kind of a big bet this this year will be launched and caro working that yeah it's outside of gumroad or is that a gumroad inside of gumroad it's owned by gumroad okay yeah so that that's one idea that sahil has is that we'd be cranking out some of these new projects uh, inside of gumroad and uh yeah, it's really fun because we already have the dev team. We we just run our same process every every time. Do you see yourself as kind of like a um, product manager ever? Like, yeah. Do you ever look at data, making like theories about what works and what doesn't, and testing it? Yes, absolutely. It's that's my day to day across all these products, especially my own. Is I would consider myself more kind of head of product. Um, I do not, even though I love marketing and things like that, I always bring in partners that are, that are going to be able to handle that or we bring someone outside because I really want to be focused on the product. So I'm able to say, and we're, I'm going through it right now with a new product. 
we're like, okay, what problem are we solving? Okay, let's map out the data structure. Let's talk to some users. Let's do some wireframes, blah, 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 and just run that whole that whole process the same way pretty much every time I start anything new. And that's me and, and why I'm brought into when I'm with these startups and I have partners, my role is to get the product built. And that's, that's why, that's what I do best. And I can hit deadline and I can hit the budget like pretty close. And just because I've done it over and over and over again, I know the things not to do. Mm. Um, so, but that's, and that's what I get the most enjoyment out of is like taking an idea because most people don't know how to execute that. Yeah. I'd like to add to everyone. You do know how to code SQL. Am I correct? And uh, code, yeah, I can code. Yeah. So I, um, most experienced with rails so I can build an app from the, from the, the whole way up through the database server level. But when it, I can build the MVP, but then once it gets into scaling and all the fancy stuff, I don't do that. It's just not worth worth. But the key is that you can communicate your designs in developer talk and structure. That's a, that's a super key point. Absolutely. And that's if, when I hire a developer, I speak in developer terms because I would consider myself a developer. So I'm using developer terms like, Hey, we're going to create a column in the database. It's going to be the name of the field is this. It's going to be a string. It's going to be an integer. It's going to be whatever that is. And when I hire a developer, I do not rush that. I want to make sure I have everything on the table for them so they can do their best work with no friction. And I tell them that I'm like, my job is to serve you. I am, you know, my job is to take all the friction out of your life. And I answer them as I don't care if it's three in the morning, if my phone's on, I will answer you. I am here to help you. This is not me telling you what to do. This is giving you the job to be done and helping you do it as efficiently as possible. I don't even have them. If it's a developer, they will not do any design. They won't even do any CSS because it will we just usually you'll use tailwind. Um, and they love it because they don't want to mess it. I'm going to be like, Oh, I want to interpret Figma designs. Like no, most developers, unless they're a front end developer, they don't want to do that. And I asked them, like, do you want to do that? Because we can, but if not, and then it reduces design reviews because if I have already designed, like I'll start with the design system and I'll code up the entire design system. And then they're just using those components. They never have to design anything. So Hans, our developer at Bit Biddy or Matthias at Dogma or Stavros at Happy Detailer, they've never, ever had to design anything or never had to interpret. They've never even seen a Figma document. They don't need to because I'll create the screens in the in, in HTML. Uh, we call it stubbing, so I'll just stub everything in. Everything in iOS in Xcode is stubbed out for Matthias. He never has to worry about spacing or font sizes or anything like that. So then it reduces uh, design process and design review. It just it just goes much faster. That's cool. So they can just go into deep focus and just smash it out. And I. I tell them, I mean, I'm very detailed in, so like in in this example, when we are doing the, for Biddy, we're doing this new sub and supplier subscription thing. So like every single one of those, it's like create a new plan user role called sub supplier, use as all the permissions, create a new blah, blah, blah. Like every single one of these and what the, in the database, like it's as detailed as I can possibly get. Because now Hans has been building that and hasn't really had to ask me any questions and he's almost done. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Have you ever thought, or is it important to you? Is it important to you to find a way that you can remove yourself even further from this um, setup as stands? Like you've got kids, you've got a wife. You know, that's. I actually love that part of it. I actually really? love that part. Yeah, it doesn't really take much time. Like, yeah, it, that's amazing. You carved out the role that you love doing. Yeah, like my day, my day today. You know, given like nine different projects. You know, we'll hang up here. I'll eat some lunch. I'll work on Gumroad, probably till the end of the day, till like five thirty. So like maybe four hours, three or four hours, um, of just really cool work on Gumroad, and then I'll do some work tonight for an hour, and then be done. Um, I worked up until noon today before our call on some on some just different consulting things. Everything's very calm during the week. Um, sometimes things get a little bit intense, but mm. I'm only doing the things that I'm really good at. And if I find things that I'm like, I don't need to be doing this, I'll hire someone to do that. I've, okay. That's been the 41-year-old Jack. Ever since I turned 40, I've been like, okay, I don't need to do a lot of these things. Um. Yeah, can you talk me through your day a bit? Um, do you wake up at the same time every day? Do you eat breakfast? Do you not eat breakfast? Do you work out? When do you take your kids to school? Yeah, like, how so do you I... maximize the amount of efficient working hours in the day? Given I've that you been... must have a seriously distracted life. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm, I've totally mastered that. But my, it depends on the season and the time of year. It depends on if the kids are in school or not. Right now, the season is I wake up at 6.30 I come down, uh, I work out. I've been doing a lot of bands, like heavy, heavy band workouts. I was doing a lot of weights and I was just getting too, I don't know. I, my wife said I was getting too bulky. I don't know what that meant. <laughs> um, and so that'll be my Mondays. And so that then I'll drive the kids to school, come back 8.30, shower, you know, sit down by 8.45, 9 a.m., um, and I'll meditate. I'm, I'm Christian. So I'll read my Bible and pray or whatever, and then start my work day that, that silence. And I don't care what, you know, what faith you are. If you don't have faith, you do have faith. That silence of me, sometimes I fall asleep, but like that 20 minutes, um, to kind of read and meditate. And it's just for me, just part of my day. And it helps me kind of focus and, and think about others, um, you know, it's a very private thing. It's not like I'm talking about it all the time, but it's something that that's a key part of my day. And then I'll work till noon, eat lunch. Uh, and then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so on Tuesdays I have jujitsu from 12 to 2. That's a big oh, chunk cool. of time, but I love it. Like, I trained when I was when I was young. I say when I was a kid. I was like 20. It was like 2004, 2005. I was doing jujitsu like all week you know, four hours on a Saturday, but now I have kids. You can't do that. So, but I worked my butt off so I could eventually be able to, to do jujitsu and hire, like I have, a, I've hired the Marcel Fiera, who's the, the lead trainer there, black belt from Brazil. And we spend an hour together every week. And then plus an, uh, an hour and a half of training in gi and no gi, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then Wednesday private uh, lesson. So that is so fun. And I just get smacked. Like I'm a white belt. So I go in and get smashed by like 200 pound Russian blue belts, um, <laughs> Danny and Yuri. And I just get like destroyed, but it's so humbling. And it's a, it, it really 
you can carry over so many life lessons to business and things like that because it doesn't matter how cool you are, how smart you are. You can talk all you want. As soon as you hit the mats and somebody is – and that's the thing about martial arts, especially jujitsu, is someone is trying to kill you. Like the only reason why they don't kill you is because part of the – we're practicing and we're having fun. We're not trying to kill each other. But if, if Danny gets me into a choke, if he held on to it, I would die. Like – so being able to practice um, almost dying <laughs> every week and knowing that, you know, I thought I was in good shape. I was lifting a lot and then just getting thrown around like a rag doll is you're just like, oh, my gosh. And so it's very humbling. And you learn to respect the process, like not, you know, not chasing belts like it just like with entrepreneurship, like not chasing the 30 under 30 or chasing the, you know, all that stuff. It's really about what did you, you know, did you get better today? If I learn, I'll get smashed, you know, for an hour and a half. And I learned one thing like, hey, don't do this. Like if I'm going to, I'm going to hook a leg, like go with both arms, because if I go with one arm, I get, you know, triangle choke or whatever. So it's been super fun. It's a great workout. Um, and any kind of martial art is just is it's there you'll never get you'll never master it ever mm. which is so fun just like with coding computers it's always changing and adapting it's the and infinite game right it's the infinite game and it what i what is also interesting is that the most dangerous people like black belt marcel who's like was a uh was a mma fighter and has like all these awards six degree black belt from brazil from like the gracie family who's the originators of it oh no way yeah he trained with carlson gracie um who's the son of carlos gracie and there's the two brothers that started the whole thing so he is so humble and so quiet and so unassuming but he's so dangerous like people <laughs> have no idea and the people who are the best martial artists, a lot of them are so confident that they don't need to talk about that. If you look at, I don't know if you follow MMA, but if you look at the difference between a Conor McGregor and uh, Khabib, Khabib is very quiet. Khabib destroyed, I mean, you could argue about it, but I watched the fight the other night again. He just dominated and he's, he's just a quiet, just gets the work done. Um, and... So especially with entrepreneurs and startup founders, they're the ones that are the loudest about it. It's the ones that you don't hear about. It. It's the, you know, this guy, Chad down the street who owns a window company and does tens of millions of dollars. He's, you know, like nobody knows that. Like they, they may know the company, but like, he, you know, he's not on selling courses on, you know, uh, whatever it is, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So that's what that's I'm learning too. It's just like, the, the ones that don't have to talk about it all the time. Um, it would be cool to eventually get to the point where you have so much success that you can put in your Twitter bio, just like something stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're always flexing when they do that. They're right. Like, like what is Elon having his Twitter bio or Jeff Bezos? Yeah, yeah. So like, like, Jeff Bezos is the ultimate one. He doesn't have any of those things. You can give a credit. <laughs> Jeff. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's the one lesson. And th yeah, so that's my that's my week and pretty much oh, just cool. repeat that now and, and then I'll do from eight eat dinner with the fam. So I'm done at five thirty. I think for anybody who works remotely, especially who has a family, like when you're done, you're done. So if you're done at five thirty, 
dad is not working until 8.30 when the kids are bed. And Marissa and I will watch Netflix or whatever. And I'll just do kind of mindless stuff on my laptop, just, you know, closing things out for the day. Mm-hmm. And so every day, you know, it's eight to 10 hours, um, sometimes more if I have to go really hard. Um, but that's, you know, that's every day. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I've read something recently about obviously your energy is highest and your creativity is highest earlier on and then later on it get, diminishes all day. So it's in, I like to highlight to people it's a good time to do stuff in the evening when you can just do the, the mindless tasks. I have and to also, force myself because I'm a night owl. I would be opposite. In college, I would stay up till four in the morning working and then sleep till noon. Like if I didn't have kids and stuff like that, that's probably what I would do. <laughs> I like to work at night when everything's really quiet. But I can't do that, and sleep is, you know, as long as I get my seven and a half, eight hours, uh, I'm good. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, so this podcast is called Going Parabolic, and the whole point is, like, the exponential curve, it doesn't move until it does. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering, like, you, you've hinted at that there with jujitsu. Like, you don't follow the belts, you follow the process, you fall in love yes. with the process. I think a lot of younger people tend to miss this. It's easy to get drawn in with social media to like whose yacht has the, who's got a yacht, who's got a fraud, all of these like fleeting things. Um, I would wonder if you could talk to that a bit, maybe reference your story from the Etsy acquisition that fell through um, with reference to celebrating early um, and maybe the feelings you felt after that. But this is a long question, but I'd just like to end it. The way I pitch you now is like, a warrior that's taken a thousand hits so that the person you are now is ready to make that parabolic move and it becomes more and more, more likely over time to the point where you probably don't even care if that happens now or not, which is no. probably the ideal time for it to happen. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting you say that too. Cause it's, I talked about it with my wife the other night. I'm like, if I completely got rid of all my assets and just maxed out hourly work, you know, it could make, 700,000 a year easy. If you just maxed out and all I did every day was clock in for 10 hours and, and did that and maybe did it across two companies and maybe up my hourly rate to 300 or whatever that would be. Um, but that's trading time for money. So it's just, it, there's no return. It's just boom. That's it. It's just, you just, yeah. you get, you do the time you get there. And what happens if you're sick, you don't get paid. What happens if you go to vacation, you don't get paid versus for me, I'm looking for that parabolic growth where it's like, okay, I'm going to just do enough hourly to keep things afloat and things are starting to kick off cash, which is, and eventually it's like, and and this one guy, Chris, who I'd listened to a while ago, he's like, you're going to work, 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 get paid. Then you're going to work, 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 get paid, get paid. And then it's like work, paid, 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 work, paid, 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 paid. And then you're just paid. (laughs) Like, so it, you're decreasing that. But you have to play it strategically like all these other businesses. Why am I investing so much time without a return? Biddy took like two and a half years with zero dollars coming in. Now it's generating a nice amount of money, but not even close to where we want it. You know, at the end of this year, we'd like to be doing, you know, we'd like to be pulling out each, uh, you know, in, in revenue, say we're pulling out of the company 200,000 each or something like that. Like, that'd be really great. And eventually, this is an acquisition target because it's so niche and we're going to be so good at it that you know, we could sell it for $30, $40 million. I could see that like very easily. Um, 
And, but that takes a lot, a lot of you are not willing to do that. And sometimes you invest in these assets and you won't get a return. Uh, sometimes you'll take the hourly instead of the equity, which is what Jonathan, you know, I did with Jonathan and, and, uh, it's just, the, it's the game that you play. So building these assets is set up to where the scale is there and people say scale a lot and it gets thrown around. But like, if, if I'm able to have three or four different businesses that I'm running the product teams, but like with, you know, with different features, which is like what I love to do anyway. And each one of those is generating a few million dollars a year. Like that's a pretty, and you have teams set up to do it with you solving real problems. That's great. Like that sounds really fun. I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm not doing any of this. Like I don't want to just be lounging around, not doing anything, playing video games. Like my ideal thing would be like work, still work six hours a day, seven hours a day, and then be able to have another like three hours of jujitsu or at the gym or, um, you know, I like to go out to the range. There's a local gun range here and be able to, to target shoot and things like that. Like all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, but again, I don't want to do it. So I'm not working. I love, I love work. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I, I, a lot of people say like, I'd say what your goal is. Some people further ahead of me in their careers and they're like, to retire when I'm 50. And for me, that's just. Yeah, no, that dread. sounds terrible. That sounds, that sounds horrific. <laughs> um, are you all right time wise? Because I want to ask. I have like one, I have like two more minutes. Yeah. Because I have okay. 30, So I got to jump over and get. Okay. Jack, we're going to need to do another call like in a year <laughs> or something. But um, actually, so I've got three questions to end with. And it's kind of like a three, two, one format. Okay. And the first one is relevant because. I hope we can speak again and this will be a timestamp of what you thought now and okay. then it will come back to you. So what are your one, five and 10 year goals for your Jack Zerbi LLC? Uh, so, so when I have the, I mean, there's very specific ones that I have like per quarter, um, <clears throat> you know, obviously launching Dogma is going to be a huge thing. I'm doing a cohort course with maven.com, which is going to be around deck design. So we're creating a whole kind of, uh, masterclass cohort thing around how to create really great pitch decks. So that, that will be launching soon. And Biddy, Biddy will be launching a subscription service soon, which is going to be great. Happy detailers launching the next version. So these are all like very specific product ones. Um, it's funny in the last two or three years, we've been able to hit a lot of our personal goals a lot of renovations we've done in the house. We're taking the kids. We took the kids to Disney and we're taking them to Universal in, in the spring. And then we're going to Jamaica in June. So like all these things that we weren't able to do before. And because I put in all that work, it's finally catching up. And I'm 41. I've been, I've been at this speed since I was 16 years old. Like I started designing on the web when I was 16, maybe even earlier than that. And I have never stopped ever. I have been on the computer designing things for as long as I can remember. And now I'm finally starting to see the fruits of that. Um, I had a, a sales mentor uh, named Ray who was like 90 years old. Um, he is 90 years old. He's still around. Owned dozens of grocery stores and, and just 
very successful entrepreneur. He said, most people don't really see success into their forties and fifties. That's when it really starts to kick in. Um, there'll be exceptions in the twenties and thirties, but really that's when you're, you have just a lot more wisdom. Um, so I feel like that's where I'm at now. And so these goals are, you know, a lot of vacations with the family, which we're doing more renovations in the house. And, um, the, the five year goal, which I'd like to hit earlier is buying land. I want to buy like a big chunk of land, 40, 50 acres, um, and be able to, you know, have a cabin in there and be able to hunt and fish and, and all those things, four wheelers. Um, and it's funny. I tell my son that all the time. He's, he's 12 years old. And I'm like, you know, when we sell this, this, when he's like, dad, you're always saying that when I say that, when we do this, when I'm like, because you got to speak it, like you got to say it. You can't say like, well, maybe someday, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I want him to hear that, that it's not immediate and that I know what I want, but I can't do it right now. Maybe I could, but it'd be too much of a stretch. Uh, I'm not in position to do it right now, but to be able to write a check for a half a million dollars and just buy the land, no loans, just like boom, done or a million dollars, write a check and be done with it. And so I want to teach my kids those goals and that, that would be un for them might feel unrealistic. Um, so that's, that's, I would say that's my 10 year goal that I want to hit in the next like three years is to, to be able to have land and, uh, I don't know if you ever watch Yellowstone, but if you, you know, ride around my cowboy hat or something like that, Oh, nice. <laughs> which true. I look ridiculous on a horse. So my wife would laugh. I rode a horse. <laughs> I was not very natural at it, but yeah. I've seen a show called Meat Eater and the guy who goes around and takes people out. Have you seen that? Oh yeah. I love it. Yeah. The American countryside is insane. It is we really don't, cool. We don't really have wild animals. So yeah, it'd be amazing to hunt and fish and stuff. It's so um, fun. Mm. So Following on from that, what are the two traits that you'd instill in your kids if you could switch a button and they had it? Uh, would be one is the hunger and the drive to keep going and to, to, to build and to create and to uh, be resourceful. Uh, when I say resourceful, it's basically saying, like, there's a problem I need to solve and I'm going to create the resources or bring in the resources needed to solve that. Uh, I don't like it when team members show up and say like, we have this problem without a solution. Like just go solve, just figure it out. Like I can't, and I, I can't remember the last time I like, I would just call up an entrepreneur friend and be like, I don't know how to solve this particular problem. Usually it says I've solved it this way and it's not working. I've tried this. I've tried this. I've tried this. Have you tried anything? And I will go and try exactly what they tell me to do. And so I want them to be able to say like, Hey, I want this new remote control car or something or new Xbox game or whatever and figure out how to get it. And don't come to me and be like, I don't know how, dad, what do you think? I don't know. You figure it out. So figure it out is something for me, you know, I wanted to learn Rails, So I just figured it out on YouTube and stuff like that. And I wanted to learn Webflow, So I just figured it out. I didn't call someone and be like, how do you learn Webflow? Like, just Google it. So that's, that's, that's what I'd want them. Yeah. To be able to do that and, and to be able to start companies, if they don't want to be an entrepreneur, that's great. But being able to, um, them have control over their income and time. Yeah. That's awesome. And then last one, bit of a random one, but what's your favorite healthy meal to cook or be cooked for? Oh man. Um, I love 
Uh, chicken and hot sauce. So like grilled Just chicken plain or chick- air fried chicken. Uh, the spicier, the better. Uh, and broccoli. Like if I would just eat, cause I just got an air fryer, but again, obviously fried chicken is not very healthy, but, um, like grilled or air fried chicken with hot sauce and a side of broccoli and rice. Like it sounds really boring. Um, no, I'm with you on that. My dad has an air fryer. It's, uh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. uh, yeah. My kids would say my favorite meal is hot wings and it is, it is definitely my, uh, favorite meal. That's awesome. Awesome. All right, sweet. Thank you so much for your time. That was an unreal conversation. I really literally didn't even touch the surface. <laughs> but I'm sure we'll have time in the future, I hope. How, did you, how do you think the conversation went? I think it was great, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting to, to think about some of these things, about goals and things like that. I, it, it's, they're always in my head, but I, sometimes I don't write them down. Because um, I really do like the process where... Every day for me is like just like a new adventure and figuring out new things and new opportunities. And like, I'm happy with that. And I kind of just, in a lot of ways, just whatever happens, happens. Like, and that's the fun of it. Mm, yeah, I agree. I like to think of it as like, my thing I always say every day is like, make each day a masterpiece. Like every day you've got a blank slate to make an incredible day where you learn something, meet someone. Yeah. Do a sick workout, go for a run. Yeah, I think there's, I think people underestimate what they can get done in, in, in a year thank you very much for your time it's nice to meet you as well yeah same here ollie all right well have a great week yeah you too see ya see ya